Hello, and welcome to our podcast here at Discovery Point Church. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message inspires you and is the beginning of a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Why don't you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here in your name for your glory. Thank you that we were reminded of the power of the table being reminded of your, your life, your death, and your beautiful resurrection. So, Lord, we just give you grace, and we give you honor, we give you praise, and we give you glory for that. Lord, open our hearts to receive your active, powerful, living word, that it may change us further and further into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We give you the honor and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you turn with me to John chapter 21? Please turn there in your Bibles with me. Uh, we're beginning a, a kind of a new series of talks here for the next five or six weeks on healthy biblical relationships. And I, I don't know about you. Uh, I was just trying to think, if I've been thinking about the conversation, what was some of the, the early on relationship advice that people gave you, or that you, you just kind of, it just kind of rubbed off on you, right? You may have learned it at home, you may have learned it uh, at school, but relationships can be pretty difficult, wouldn't you agree? In fact, you, you've probably had a day where you thought, man, if it just wasn't for people, life would be good. You've probably thought that, maybe not every day, but there are those days you're like, man, if it, if it wasn't for that person, it, my life would be incredible. But but that's, that's the part of the journey, isn't it? It's like life is one giant, dynamic relationship. I, I remember early on that there was this phrase that the relationship advice was, don't get mad, get even. And man, that, you've probably heard that, right? And, and that just kind of sticks, and, and, and we kind of have that posture of, of don't get mad and, and get even. And, and man, who, who among us? hasn't had a relationship just kind of go south, right? I mean, how many of us haven't, have been in a relationship and for lack of a better term, we just kind of ran that thing off in the ditch and it was a mess. Has that ever happened in your life? You've been in a relationship? Okay, I'm, I'm, sure, it, I'm sure it has. Uh, you're probably trying to think of that right now. But if you think about relationships and just being at odds with someone, maybe you care about, maybe someone close to you, uh, it can be very stressful, and a healthy relationship is just healthy for our lives. Wouldn't you agree with that? When we're in healthy relationships, and even healthy relationships can be challenged, but we're in those relationships, it seems like we're healthy in other areas of our lives as well. Well, this weekend, I've just got a brief message entitled, Relation Slips, because they can slip. And in John chapter 21 kind of to begin this idea, this conversation moving forward, is that we see Jesus giving a master class on relationships. I don't know if you've, if you've seen these master classes that they're coming out with now, maybe cooking or art or music. Uh, John 21, I think, is maybe the first master class on relationships. So join me with me as we work through John chapter 21 and we extract some things from the life of Jesus that give us incredible insights 
into relationships. So I'm, I want you to notice a few things. So you may want to jot some of these down and kind of keep score, if you will. The first thing that we're going to notice in John chapter 21 is that Jesus meets the disciples in their space. So this is post-resurrection, right? Post-resurrection. And so I want us to look in John chapter 21. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. The scripture says that later Jesus appeared to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. Now this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. So we had Simon Peter. We had Thomas, nicknamed the twin. We had Nathaniel from Cana, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, probably James and John, and two other disciples. So we have, looks like a total of seven disciples, right? And, and, and they are there. Now, in verse 3, the scripture says, Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. Say that with me. I'm going fishing. And, and I think that's okay. He says, I'm going fishing. Well, the guys are like, hey, we're, we're going to come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. Must have been at Lake Pleasant. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. So I want you to see, as you think about relation slips, and as you move back into, you, you, you want healthy relationships, and as you do, I want you to see the first thing that we see in the life of Jesus. Like He meets them in their space. He, he entered their world. It, it sounds like well, it should be quite the opposite. Shouldn't they be looking for him? But we see Jesus entering their world and he, he enters seeming somewhat gently and he seems kind. And I don't know about me, but I'd been a little frustrated with the guys. You know, I'd have been like, hey, what, what are you guys doing? Don't you understand what's going on? And so he enters their world, not frustrated, but he enters it uh, gently. He enters it with purpose. He enters it with intention. And man, he doesn't seem angry. He doesn't seem frustrated. He doesn't seem fed up. He seems just to enter into what, where they are, and he finds these guys fishing. The second thing I want you to see is that Jesus, then he asks them a very relevant question. Notice what he says here in verses 5 and 6. So Jesus says, uh, he called out, fellows, Hey, have you guys caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will get some. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish. So he, he enters their world and then he asks a relevant question about their interest. It's as if he's interested in what they are interested in. He's entering the world. Now, it's a very interesting word here. The NLT says fellows. Some translations say friends, right? It's a really kind of unique word that we see in the Gospel of John. It's used in the Gospels elsewhere. But this word actually means small child. So in the Gospel of John, this word fellows or friends is used three times. The other two instances, it's used to refer to a small child. So It'd be pretty easy to translate this, Jesus saying, hey, you big babies, right? That's one way it could almost be translated, but I don't think that's what he means. I, I think he's entering their world. He's asked a relevant question about what they're up to. It's like, I think he might have known what they were doing, right? I think he has a pretty good, good idea of what's going on, but he asked the question, have you guys caught any fish? A relation slipped. 
becomes a relationship. When we enter into a person's world, and then we begin to ask relevant questions about their life. Oftentimes in relationships, when I enter into a relationship, I want to talk a little bit more about me. But Jesus is like, no, no, no. I want to know what you guys are up to. I'm asking a relevant question. The third thing that I see in the text is that Jesus then serves them at their point of need. This is powerful. I'm going to begin reading in verse 7, and then we're going to unpack this. I'm going to read through verse 14. Travel along with me if you have your Bibles. The Scripture says, Then the disciple who Jesus loved, he said to Peter, Hey man, it's the Lord. Breaking news. It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and he headed to shore. You know, we read these scriptures, and we kind of read over that, but here is a grown man who has put his tunic on, and he's jumped in the water, and he's swimming to shore. This is a grown man, right? (laughs) And now he's swimming to shore. Look at what he says in verse 8. The other guys... They stayed in the boat. They had seen this before, right? The previous previous movie, Peter's walking on water for a little bit, and they stayed in the boat. They'd seen this movie somewhat before. They stayed in the boat. One of them probably said, here he goes again. We've seen this, man. This is the sequel. The others, they stay in the boat. They they pulled the loaded net to shore for there. They're only about 100 yards from the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish that you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter, he went aboard and he dragged the net. There were about 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come, let's have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared ask him, hey, who who are you? This is an interesting conversation, right? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish and This was the third time that Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. couple observations. Notice that that Jesus, he he is preparing breakfast, right? It's kind of that initial food network idea here, right? He's preparing this wonderful, wonderful breakfast. But notice who he's preparing the breakfast for. He's preparing the breakfast for a group of men essentially betrayed him. He's preparing the breakfast for one man by the name of Peter who not only betrayed him, but denied him. Think about the relationships in your life, and you're like, oh, I'd love loved to make breakfast for the friends. It's fun. But when you begin to understand that we are to make breakfast for those who maybe have betrayed us, Maybe we are at odds against it. It changes the whole dynamic of breakfast, right? Like, I don't think I'm making breakfast for those people. Jesus is making breakfast, and there is something so significant here in verse 9. If you have your Bible, look at verse 9 with me. The Scripture says that when they got there, they found the breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Can you imagine Peter, he comes out of the water, he is making his way up the beach, and he sees a fire. It's a charcoal fire. 
If you were to look back in John chapter 18, beginning in verse 12, the scripture says, So the soldiers, their commanding officer and the temple guards arrested Jesus. They tied him up. First they took him to Annas, since he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest at the time. And Caiaphas was the one who told the other Jewish leaders it's better for one man should die for the people. Follow along, verse 15 of chapter 18. Scripture says that Simon Peter followed Jesus as did the other disciples. That other disciples was acquainted with the high priest so that he allowed them to enter into the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Verse 16. Peter had to stay outside the gate. Then the disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching the gate and she let Peter into the gate. Verse 17. The woman asked Peter, You're not one of those man's disciples, are you? No. He said, I am not. Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire. I want you to think through that just for a minute. Here is Peter, excited that it's Jesus, to some degree, probably apprehensive, wouldn't you agree? As he makes his way up that shore, he sees what? A charcoal fire. It's as if that Jesus was bringing Peter back to the place of his greatest failure. You've been around a charcoal fire. They, they stay with you for a while, right? You've been camping or you got that smoke on you. That stuff stays with you. And, and not only does it stay with you, of course, clothing, but it stays with you mentally. And I'm convinced that there's something significant about Jesus gathering them around, especially Peter, around this charcoal fire. It's like one of those red flashing speed limit signs, right? When you're driving, you're exceeding the speed limit, and the red numbers tell you you're exceeding the speed limit, right? You're like, I don't need that today. It's a, it's a, it's a flashing reminder. And the charcoal fire, to some degree, is a flashing reminder to Peter that he had denied his Lord. But understand this. That Jesus doesn't define us by our failures, our worst moment. He defines us by the power of his forgiveness. That in, I think that's what's going on here, that the, the place of our failures is the place where we find God's grace. And I think there is something so significant about Jesus cooking over the charcoal fire that set something off in the mind of Peter and Jesus brought him back to that moment so he would experience his grace like never before. Jesus prepares the breakfast. Notice verse 10. He asks them, hey, bring some of the fish that you've caught. Right, that's what he says in verse 10. He's like, hey, bring some of your fish. Now what's interesting about this is verse 9 says he's already cooking fish. You see that? Verse 9, he's already got the fish. We're not sure where he got the fish. He's already cooking fish. But he says to the guys, hey, why don't you guys bring the fish that you caught? I'm like, no, wait a second. If he already has fish, why does he need their fish? And now I'm wondering, well, where did he get his fish? So there's a fishy thing going on here. Do you see it, right? He has fish. Bring your fish. Why did he ask these guys to bring their fish? He didn't need their fish. By the way, the fish that he blessed them with, right? 
He told experienced fishermen, hey, throw your net on the other side of the boat. And that's another thing about relationships. When you're good at something and someone who doesn't really know a lot about it tells you how to do it, how does that feel? Right? And so Jesus is like, hey, you guys, you don't know what you're doing. Throw your net on the other side of the boat. That, you, I get bristly when somebody who I think I know what I'm doing and they tell me how to do my job, but they don't know how to do my job, but actually they're right about it. That's even worse. Bring your fish. But what, why does he tell them to bring the fish? He already has fish. He doesn't need their fish. There's something about Jesus giving us the honor to bring him what he's blessed us with. You see it? There's an honor in giving back. And, and, and everything that he's blessed us with, everything that we have, it, it comes from him. And so it's not that he needs it, but he gives us the honor of giving it back to him. It reminds us he is our provision. He is our provision. You know, you've been, maybe if you've been around for a couple months, we've had the privilege of working with some close friends in Ukraine. And, and, and I want to show you a, a Viber text between, uh, this is Tim. If you were here last week, Natalie Richards spoke uh, to us. Her father's a pastor in Ukraine. So this is her brother, Tim. And he lives in Hungary. So initially when we were serving their family with resources, we would have to send it to Tim in Budapest, and then he would kind of filter it into Ukraine. I know you can't read it, so I'll, I'll brief, briefly read it. So what he says in the middle of this is, uh, Mission completed, Greg. Yesterday I passed the first half, today the second. I transfer not a very large amount so that the bank does not block us. I responded back to Tim. Hi, Tim. Thank you for the update. We appreciate your help. Do you need anything? His answer blew me away. It's the very bottom of the portion. It says, Heaven, send me everything I need. Thank you, my friend. Heaven, send me everything I need. Thank you, my friend. I think that's what's happening in the passage. Bring me the fish. They're going to drag 153 fish up there. They get them up there and like, wait a minute, he already has fish. Why are we bringing the fish? It's just a reminder. I provide everything and give you the honor of giving it back to me. One of the last things is that Jesus invites them to breakfast. Look at verse 12, 13. Scripture says, hey, now, now come, let's have some breakfast. Jesus says that none of the disciples, they're not asking, who are you? They knew who it was. Now, notice verse 13. The scripture says, then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. I like to cook breakfast. I do not like to serve it. And I despise the cleanup. Here, Jesus prepares the breakfast, right? That's the fun part. But notice what else he does. The scripture says that he does what? He serves the fish and the bread. Isn't that a powerful thing? And, and don't forget who he's serving, right? Those who betrayed and the one who denied. Well, let's end this message in verses 15 through 17. I don't have time to go all through the chapter. I encourage you to do that. But notice what happens toward the end of this this passage is that Jesus repairs the relationship with truth and love. Look with me. This is when he and Peter, 
He's been setting the whole stage for this conversation. All that's happened beforehand, he's just setting the stage for what's about to happen. Look at with me, verse 15. We're going to read through 17. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Some are wondering. Some believe, is he talking about the fish? Is he speaking about the other disciples? Not exactly sure, but do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. Hey, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Verse 16, Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Well, yes, Lord, Peter said, you, you know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Verse 17, the third time he asked the same question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Look at what the text says. Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. This is where repairing the relation slip gets a little more challenging. This is the moment in the text where we learn something from Jesus. Not only did he meet them in their space, not only did they ask him a relevant question, and not only is he serving the men that betrayed him, but notice in the text, now he moves the conversation to the place of truth and love. In other words, let me say it this way. We began repairing relation slips with a posture of love rather than a posture of problem solving. The majority of people that I, in my own personal conversation with people who have issues, they're always trying to solve the problem. And that's important. But Jesus isn't about the problem. He's focused on a posture of love. Do you see that? Do you love me? So in, in your relationships, in your close relationships of life, it, it, we like to solve the problem. We, we need to identify the problem. Absolutely. But don't begin with the problem. Begin with a posture of love. Does that make sense? It's a whole different way to think about this, and that's what I see. So what do we say with this? There's a little bit of a play on words here. In verses 15 and 16, Jesus says, Peter, do you agape me? It's the highest form of love, right? Peter responds with, yes, Lord, I phileo you. That, that's, a, that's a brotherly love. It's a powerful love, but it's a brotherly love. So, so they're on two different love levels, right? Some scholars think, hey, don't make more of this than there. Other scholars believe this is incredibly important. Twice, Jesus says, Peter, do you agape? Do you love me? Peter's like, well, yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. We're, it's brotherly love. And then in verse 17, Jesus changes the conversation. He says, Peter, do you phileo me? Peter's like, yes, Lord, I phileo you. And the text says that Peter is what? He's sad. He's heartbroken. But here's what we understand. At least we know where the conversation is. Wouldn't you agree? At, at least we know what's developing. Let me give you some takeaways as I close. Let me say this. Not all relation slips mend. It's just the truth of being part of the human journey. Agree? They don't all mend. We need to be discerning, prayerful, and wise, and sometimes after prayer and discernment and maybe godly counsel, sometimes we may need to walk away from certain relationships. Agreed? Sometimes. So what I'm saying is I want to say that with the idea that 
Sometimes God moves people out of our lives. You know what? If that's your sense, let them go as hard as it may be. Let them move on. And sometimes God may move you out of someone's life. Be sensitive to that. Does that make sense? So I'm, we're not suggesting with this stay in a, a, a relationship that's unhealthy or anything like that at all. Please. But let's notice what Jesus does. This is kind of the summary of the passage. Number one, meet people where they are, right? This is how you move from a... If, you've got, if you're in a relation slip right now, maybe you need to say, okay, how can I meet them where they are? How can I go to them? For some of us as parents, maybe I need to go to my, my child's room. For someone at work, maybe I need to go to their cubicle. For somebody at the office, maybe I need to go to the, the office. So meet people where they are. This is Jesus. Take a genuine interest in them. Ask relevant questions about their life. Right? You see Jesus doing that in the story? You see it? Have you caught any fish? He's not asking, how cold's the water? Are you scuba diving? He's asking, hey, have you guys caught any fish? He's interested in their interest, right? Third thing. Serve people in appropriate ways. Simple, doable, significant ways. You're like, hey, Jesus, he's just cooking breakfast. Yes. You, most of you can cook breakfast, right? You can do the toast. You're like, well, that sounds so simple. I want to do something significant with my life. Try pre preparing breakfast of someone who's betrayed you. Give that a run. Serve people in simple, significant, appropriate ways. And, and you're saying, does God expect me to serve the person who shattered my world, who betrayed me, who lied to me, who wrote me off? Is that what God is asking me to do? Quite possibly, yes. Is God asking me to serve the family member that just disrespected me? Quite possibly. Is God asking me to assist that coworker who I know has been gossiping about me? Yeah, maybe. You mean God wants me to pull my neighbor's weeds even though I don't get along with that guy? Yeah. Yes. Pastor, are you saying that God wants me to prepare a meal for the lady who dissed my kids on social media? Maybe. Maybe. There's something powerful about serving in appropriate ways. Last thing, have a truthful, loving conversation. I mean, the first part of the story is kind of neat and cool, right? Jesus enters their world, and he asks this wonderful question that's relevant, and, and then he serves them. That's all like, man, I, I can do that. Uh, but here's where the rubber meets the road. Jesus calls Peter to the side and says, Let, let's have a conversation. You've had those conversations, right? And, and he has this relevant, truthful, loving conversation. Do not underestimate truthful, loving conversations. I'll end it with this question. This is what we call just a relation slip question. How would Jesus relate to the people in my world? How would he relate to the people in my world? The people you love, the people that you have personality conflict with, the people that you, you want to love, the people that you befriended, but they're paying no attention to you. Uh, how would Jesus relate to the people in your world? 
We say we want to live like Jesus, but this is where the rubber meets the road. Wouldn't you agree? Will we choose to extend grace instead of grief? Will we offer forgiveness instead of holding a grudge? This is godly retaliation. This is how God retaliates. He retaliates with love and grace and forgiveness and loving conversations and truth. This is God retaliating in a relationship. And it's a powerful thing to do. How many of you have ever had someone have one of those difficult, challenging, truthful conversations with you? Anybody? I've had a couple of those in my life that I can remember. I'm sure I've had more. February the 9th, 1989. I had a professor and a mentor by the name of Dr. Bob Evans. And I don't know if you guys remember Bob Evans. And uh, he kind of went off this thing. Back in the, I think in the, in the Midwest, Bob Evans was a restaurant. And he always had this stuff. And he was kind of a fun-loving guy. But he was my mentor. He was my Greek professor. And uh, on that day, I have it written down in, in this book. On that day, uh, Dr. Evans says, hey, Greg, can you stop by after class? I'm like, sure, sure. He and I had a great relationship. So I went by Dr. Evans' office after class. I'm like, what's going on? He's like, you tell me what's going on. I'm like, what? You've had the person that you're, 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 you're in good relationship with, and they hit you with something like that, and you're like, what's going on? What, what do you mean? You tell me. What's going on with you? I'm like, well, I, I, I don't know. He's like, you're, you're really not engaged with this thing any longer. I was a senior at Oklahoma Baptist University trying to get out of there, right? And he's trying to get me out of there. He's like, you got to pull it together, man. You are wasting time. You're apathetic. You don't care any longer. He said, this is a turning point in your life. And I'd known Dr. Evans for about three years. And man, I had never seen this side of Dr. Bob Evans. He's like, are you in? Are you out? I was like, well, I think I'm in. He's like, well, then get in. Either get in or get out. What we're doing here matters. He said, are you in? I'm like, all right, I'm in. It was an important turning point in my life, a, a conversation of truth and love. And then he reached behind his desk, had a little credenza, and he picked up what is known as the Expositor's Greek New Testament, these books. And he took, there's five of them. He took this set of books, which I, he knew I wanted these books. I'd said it before. He brought them to the desk. He's like, here you go. These are yours now. If you're going to get serious, these are yours. Those people who have taken the time to have a loving, truthful, honest conversation with me, have actually changed the trajectory of my life. You would probably say the same thing. So as you think about the relationships in your life, and maybe you're in a relationship, all right, maybe you're there. Take Jesus. He's the master teacher on how to live out healthy relationships. It's not in our own strength, but the strength of the Holy Spirit. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this day, our time together. Father, we wish that, I think in life, that if we had a little more insight and training and help in our relationships, that they would be healthier and, and we would honor each other and we would respect one another.
in significant ways. So Father, we, we, we look to Jesus, John 21. It is, I think, the most powerful, clearest description of how to handle difficult relationships, maybe in the entire scripture. So Father, let us look, let us learn. Let us look unto Jesus, say, Jesus, teach me those things as I engage relationships around me. Father, we pray this. We pray for your grace in our relationships. We pray for forgiveness, for discernment, and appropriateness in so many ways. In the name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. We pray you allow this message to transform you to take what you learned and share the love of Jesus to those around you. You can stay informed and connected by following Discovery Point Church on all social media platforms. Thank you and God bless you.